Well, hey, good afternoon. It's a summer day out on Bittersweet Farm. And an afternoon storm rolled in. You may even hear it in the background. The story of the Bible makes sense of even the most confusing, even the most disheartening things that shake the world around us. Have you ever noticed that? Why is it that people do such evil? Why do others have such a powerful capacity for kindness and for humanity, some of whom aren't even Christians? What is it that's happening in the world, in this world? Is this the end of the world? The Bible answers all these questions plainly. I remember April 1, 1968, clearly. I turned 10 in 1968. We moved from Battle Creek, Michigan to Logansville, Ohio on April 1st, 1968. It was my first day of school at the elementary school in Quincy, Ohio. Now every trace of that school is gone, and the property where the school stood is empty. But at the time, it was alive with grade school children every day. As a 10-year-old boy at the time, living in a small parsonage in a tiny village with two businesses and one church, I wasn't deeply aware of what was going on in the world around me. Our family didn't even own a television at the time, though my parents kept themselves well informed. Three days after we moved to Ohio, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, and America erupted into civil unrest and rioting. The anti-war sentiment would boil over into demonstrations, campus unrest, and eventually shootings on July 20th, 1969. Neil Armstrong, an Ohio boy himself, became the first man to walk on the moon. By then, we, we did own a black and white TV set, and we watched the grainy pictures, wondering if it was real or staged. A year after that, Monday, May 4th, 1970, students on the campus of Kent State University in Ohio were fired upon by National Guardsmen. Thirteen of the students were shot. Four of them died. Anti-war demonstrations multiplied. And it was a time of incredible tension and incredible division. There was talk of revolution, of sexual promiscuity, and the dark threat of communism sweeping the world and anti-war demonstrations, they all contributed to a sense of despair and insecurity. But on a summer afternoon in the summer of 1968, I was unaware of any of these earth-shaking things going on in the world around me. I was preoccupied with my job, mowing the church lawn for a dollar a week, my tree fort, my fat-tired bike, and my friend Steve Strunk and Glenn Fairchild. Commonly on a summer afternoon, I would ride the back roads around the village searching the ditches for empty pop bottles. When I gathered enough bottles, I'd go back to the Mr. Knight's Sinclair station. His wife was uh, a woman attended our church. Their house was between the church and their gas station, and it was an old school service station with a wooden porch. Mr. Knight And his adult son would sit on that porch and jaw about this and that between their infrequent customers. The service station had a a sign with a dinosaur and a wooden porch and a screen door and a spring that ping, ping, pinged when you opened it and slapped shut behind you. A fan whirred overhead on a summer day. We would gather our deposit for our empty bottles and then go back 
to the bath-style cook machine in the back of the store. We'd deposit our coins and we would fish out a cold pop. I almost always chose Orange Crush back then. And I've given it a lot of thought, and I think there are three reasons that I've almost never tasted any soft drink so satisfying. The first reason was that I had to work so hard to get it. The second was that my parents, very wisely, didn't often give us soda pop. And the third and paramount reason for the delicious cold satisfaction unmatched by any modern counterpart is that it was sold in glass bottles, cold glass bottles. The abomination of the soda can had not yet corrupted Mr. Knight's Sinclair Station on State Route 47 in Logosville, Ohio in the hot summer of 1968. And so a boy in cuffed Levi's with a red wool ball cap and a red ball Jets tennis shoes sitting on the wooden porch of a filling station on a summer afternoon could nurse an icy cold orange soda in unhindered bliss. That is how I remember it. What I really didn't know while I was whiling away hours in my tree fort or mowing the church lawn or sipping my orange crush was that adults were busy trying to keep the world right side up that summer. Young men were being maimed and dying in South Vietnam. The Russians were trying to beat us to the moon, probably aiming weapons of mass destruction at major American cities. A university not far away the next spring would erupt into deadly violence. Detroit had barely survived a horrific season of rioting just the summer before. And now the assassination of assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. would result in riots in over a 100 more American cities, all this, while a boy with blonde bangs jutting out from underneath his cap who led an Opie Taylor life sat listening to the radio broadcast of the Cincinnati Reds playing baseball in their sparkling new stadium on the banks of the Ohio. The Reds reached the World Series in Riverfront's first year, 1970, and they would reach the World Series four times in the stadium's first seven years and then win back-to-back championships in 1975 and 1976 as the Big Red Machine. And this was a part of the soundtrack of my childhood. In 1975 and 1976, if I didn't go to sleep listening to the Reds on radio, the first thing that I would do every morning of the spring and summer before light was I'd get the papers that I was about to deliver, and I'd get under a street lamp, and I'd open to the sports page, and I'd check the baseball standings for the Western Division of the National League to see where my red legs stood. This summer, they canceled baseball. Most of the over 200 church camps in Michigan will host no campers this summer. Every day, we have to think about the possibility of dying of the plague. Incomprehensible acts of racial injustice are now played over and over again on high demand for anyone who wants to see them. An in-color version of the most worst agonies around the world displayed in high definition on little pocket devices for 10-year-olds everywhere nowadays. And every boy and every girl has a front row seat to violence, perversion, hatred, every imaginable uncensored ugliness, but they won't go to any picnics with the symphony. And they won't cool off in the community pool. And they won't visit the big league ballpark. And they won't lay in their cabin at summer camp on a summer night and listen to the night sound through the thin walls of their cabin. 
Still the Spirit of God broods over every neighborhood and village and hamlet and city, every township and every county and every state where 10-year-olds live. Still the Spirit of God possesses every genuine believer, even little 10-year-old believers. Still in almost every hamlet and village and city, God has his people gathered in an assembly of the faithful, no matter how humble local churches are God's plan for the age, and they're resilient beyond logical description. God owns outright every square inch of planet Earth. Every square inch of the universe is his. The world is moving at the pace he ordained toward the glorious destiny that he arranged. The kingdom of this earth will become the kingdom of our God. And of his Christ. He's now gathering a people for his name out of out of the earth, and some of them are ten year olds this summer.